Hey, this is John Stevens, pastor of Chapelwood, and this is our weekly sermon podcast. I hope it will impact your heart and your life and help you grow closer to God. Check us out online at chapelwood.org. Thanks for tuning in. This morning, our scripture is from Paul's two letters to Timothy, who was leading the church in Ephesus at that time. The first will be from, uh, it's the second letter, first chapter. And if you get out your pew Bible, let's get ready for this. It's at page 211. And the second, we have a well-known verse from the first letter to Timothy. And that's in chapter 4, page 209. Well, let's all rise for the reading of God's Word. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hey, my name is Joseph Clam. I'm one of the pastors here at Chapwood United Methodist Church. Welcome to our online worship. We are so glad that you're here. I wanna encourage you to take a visit to chapwood.org home to find out more information about how you can get connected here at Chapwood. Also wanna encourage you to register your attendance. And if you'd like to pray with someone, there's a link to do so. You may be remote, but just know that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved. Welcome to Chapwood. God bless. I don't always, I don't, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't always share these things with you, but I think I need to do more of this because um, today's sermon is all about what it means to live in this community together, what it means to make disciples, which are just disciples are learners, followers, imitators of Christ. And how we go about doing that, not just for those of us in this room, but these kids that were up here singing uh, that our students, that our adults, our senior adults, how are we all continuing to walk in a way that leads to life, continuing to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called? And we kind of get confused sometimes that it's just about all about belief and not about practical living. But those things work together. That's what we're going to talk about with Paul and Timothy's relationship. But, you know, I get a lot of letters, or I have through the years. Uh, a lot of them are not really appropriate to share in church. Uh, I say that. There are some. But... But I got one this week, and I just want you to know, I want you to be connected with a broader sense of who we are at Chapelwood. And this letter uh, came this past week. Thanks to everyone involved in bringing the Sunday services to people like me who are not able to get to church anymore. It was a big part of our family life for so many years, and I miss the fellowship of friends and church. 
now all gone to a better life, including my wife of 70 years. It was good to hear the associates in John's absence. This is my favorite part, but I'm glad he's back. <laughs> Harry, we see you, and you are loved, and you are part of this community of faith. Last week, I was also blessed at after, the 12, after service at about 12.30. We do baptisms, yes, on the second Sundays of the month here in the sanctuary, but we often do private baptisms for families just because of scheduling and all of that. And there was a, a young woman who grew up in this church, was baptized in her church, or her family is from this church and from here. They now live in Atlanta and they attend a church there, but they wanted their daughter Sutton to be baptized here at Chapelwood. And so we gathered afterward with the family and, and uh, got a note from grandfather who said, thanks so much for the time spent providing the baptism for Sutton. It's been a, such a special occasion for us and we're all touched. She is off to such a great start because of Chapelwood. And that connects us, right? Not just in the space and the place, it connects us to family uh, that lives in Atlanta, but is, has, has come up in this place and been shaped by this place. This morning at 8.30 service, we had a family join a young girl who graduated in 2013 uh, in this place, grew up in this place, shaped and formed by this place, and she and her husband now are coming back uh, to be involved and plugged in. You know, Everybody needs a Paul in their life. Everybody needs a Paul in their life, and everybody needs to be a Timothy at some point. And everybody uh, needs to be a Timothy so that you have a Paul. You have to be both a Paul and a Timothy. There's the mentor and the mentee. I don't know if you recognize anybody in this picture, um, but the fashion styles haven't changed at all since the early 1990s. They're about the same. That's me on the left, and in the red shirt with those beautiful multicolored shorts is a man named Terry Kelly. I shared a couple of weeks ago that when I was 14, my parents divorced, and I didn't have any relationship with my father for many years. Terry became my father. Terry Kelly, a guy who was a manager at a car dealership, uh, he opened his life, he opened his faith, he opened his home to me and a lot of other kids. Terry, Terry worked at a car dealership, managing a car dealership, but he gave his time and his energy at his church, at our church at St. Mark in Columbus, investing in young people. And so he would teach life groups, small groups, Sunday Bible study at his house. He'd teach on Sunday morning or Sunday night at MYF. He and his wife, Diane, were, they were so important to so many, but Terry was really like a father to me. As a matter of fact, there have been a lot of young men and women who have come out of that church while Terry was there that have gone into the ministry in some way, shape, or form or another because of his impact. He was a Paul for me. He taught me, um, he taught me about the Bible, but he also taught me about life, and he taught me about what it means to be a follower of Christ. He was the one from the very beginning at 14, 15, 16. He gave me a job detailing cars at a car dealership. He taught me work. He taught me how to work. I had a single mom working multiple jobs. If I was going to have any spending money, I was going to have to work for it. And so I went to work for it. And since Terry was like my dad, and he was inside the car dealership, and they had air conditioning in the summer in South Georgia, I'm out in the detail shop with a shop fan with the guys in the shop. But I thought since Terry was like a dad to me, I could go sit inside by the water fountain inside uh, the showroom. And he came out one day, and he said, 
what are you doing in here? I said, well, it's hot outside. I'm taking a break. He goes, you work in the shop. And I'm not going to say exactly what he said, but you need to get your rear end back out in the shop. Showroom is for customers and salesmen. Now, he, he loved me. I knew he loved me. He was teaching me something about work and identity and the value of work and what that meant. I would not be here today were it not for Terry Kelly. And I would not be standing here as a pastor were it not for Terry Kelly. From age 14 on, he didn't do it publicly. He never shamed me. He never embarrassed me. He knew my relationship with my father. He also knew what God really designed and desired for me to be all that I could be. And he would tell me in moments when we were alone, in moments when we had just this special time together, he'd look at me without any condemnation, without any shame. He'd say, John, you know you need to forgive your father, right? And I'd get mad at him. That's what a, that's what a Paul does for a Timothy. He challenges you, admonishes you, encourages you, shapes you, forms you, opens himself up to you. This is what discipleship is. When you follow, he wasn't trying to get me to follow him and be like him. He wanted me to follow Jesus and be like Jesus. That's what he was trying to do. In 1997, Terry tragically died of a massive heart attack. Actually, the same week we had just gotten home from the hospital, in 1997, when my daughter Sarah was born. And I can tell you that was probably the hardest thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I still can't talk about it without getting emotional. Because at his funeral, I showed a picture of Sarah to him that he never got to see her. But I know he sees her. When someone means that much to you and impacts you that much, and still even to this day, I mean, how many years ago has it been since 1997 and I... I still can't, um, I still can't talk about it. That's what Paul is here with Timothy. This is what we're called to be as a community of faith, to have that kind of impact on the lives of our children, our students, on each other, men and women as we grow and we, as we grow in our followership of Jesus. And, and this is what I want to just unpack real briefly this morning for us. You know, Paul wrote this letter in about 64 A.D. Most scholars think it's 64 A.D. Paul would be killed. He would be beheaded by Emperor Nero either that same year or the year after. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And when you read the, the words from, uh, from him, he speaks with such passion and emotion and connection for Timothy. Timothy actually was... Very important, and, and along Paul for a long time, Timothy is actually credited for serving as the scribe in the letters of Paul, that Timothy is taking down the words of Paul as Paul got older. He's co-authored uh, several of the New Testament epistles, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. you got to know that um, Timothy's background was that his mother and grandmother were Jewish and Christian, became Christian. But his father was a Greek Gentile, which means that he was not circumcised. And so when Paul finally met Timothy and his family and encouraged him to come alongside with him and accompany him, you can go to the next slide, and accompany him with his journey of faith, he told Timothy that if you're going to go with me, 
the way that we present the gospel is we go into a town and we go into the Jewish synagogue first. This was Paul's model for evangelism. You go into the city, you go to the Jews first because Jesus came as the Messiah for the Jews. So you go to the Jews first in the synagogue. Most of the time they would not accept or receive Paul and then he would go into the city and he'd preach the gospel to everyone, all the Gentiles, all the Greeks, all those who are outside of the Jewish community. Since Timothy was a Gentile on his father's side, Paul said, if you're going to come and do this with me, you're going to have to be circumcised because I want you to go with me into the synagogues and people are going to know you're a Gentile. Now, one of the things that's always fascinated me about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is I never would have thought that this would be an evangelistic message that a, one would preach to say, now, if you're going to come do this with me, I mean, I've been called to the ministry and there have been some hard things I've had to deal with, but I, but I never had to be challenged with being circumcised or not. In order to go and do this, you can imagine the this this the culture that they're in and the differences and the things that that they're dealing with. Timothy answers this call so that he could go into the Jewish synagogues, and so he travels with Paul. And finally, as they move around, you can read this in Acts 16 and later chapters. As they move around and they engage in the gospel, Paul is called to go to Greece, Macedonia at the time. He has a dream of a Macedonian man who says, "Come over and help us." And Timothy now has been with him for years. He's mentored him. He's developed him. He's poured into him. And Paul says, I'm going to go across the sea into Greece to, to spread the gospel. Timothy, it's time for you to step up. I'm leaving you here in Ephesus. And I want you to lead this church. And Ephesus, much like Corinth, and much like many of the early churches in this day, had Jews and Gentiles, people who were who came up in Jewish tradition and people who came up in no religious tradition. They had different cultural practices. They have different uh, uh, societal practices. They had different ways of thinking about politics and government and, and society. They had different ways they even believed about how God worked. And so it was a big struggle. You think there's diversity in the church nowadays. You have no idea unless you go back and read about Corinthians and Ephesians. And he asked Timothy, he's like, I've prepared you. I've poured into you. You are going to be the one to lead this church. He poured his life out into him. And now he's asking Timothy to pour his life out into someone else. Paul pours into Timothy. Timothy is allowed, allows Paul to pour into him. And Timothy now becomes a Paul who now pours into other Timothys. And the cycle goes on. This is discipleship. This is what it means to be followers of Jesus. This is what we do. This is our mission at church to make disciples. And I know disciple is a churchy word. You know, disciple, discipleship. The word in the New Testament, in the Greek word, is methetes, which literally means a learner, a follower, one who walks. Paul uses the image of walking. And so now in this discipleship work, this role in the mission, he's so tied to this loving friend of Timothy that he wants him to take on and lead this. One thing that I think is just in his final farewell, 2 Timothy 1.4, we, uh, we read part of this. Listen to the passion that Paul writes. He's in prison. He knows he's probably going to die. He knows he probably will never see Timothy again, who he's poured life into. And he says, I long to see you again, for I remember your tears when we parted. And I will be filled with such joy when we are together again. And we know... He would never see him again. My friends, I think the message for today, it's the message of the gospel. It's the message of Jesus. 
it's the message in the New Testament letters to the churches, is that Christian discipleship, Christian following of Jesus, Christian walking in the way of Jesus, Christian learning is not so much something that we that happens to us through books and words, sermons or classes. It is caught. It's caught through ongoing significant relationships in communities of trust and love and living life together. This is why discipleship starts first and foremost in the home. The church is the body of Christ gathered together with the mission of making disciples. The church is the only institution that exists, the only organization that, it, that exists that was left and instituted by God to serve as Christ's body in the world. There's a lot of great things to support nonprofits around. The church is the only one with that calling. Consecrated, instituted by God to be the body of Christ in the world. But discipleship happens in relationships. In our scripture, we learn Paul was not the only important influence on Timothy's life. And the same was true in my life. It wasn't just Terry Kelly who poured into me. Paul writes here, he talks about two women that play this unique role in his life. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith in 2 Timothy 1.5, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am convinced and persuaded, because I know, because I've been around you, that it lives in you also. These two women, Jewish by birth, converted to Christianity by the tall time Paul arrived in Lystra, which is where he meets Timothy, to invite him on his missionary journey. I had a Terry Kelly. I had a Paul. You know who else I had? I had a mom. I had a meemaw. Anybody have a meemaw? I had a coach and a mama sign. This is what, you know, all the grandparents have, like, funny names. Now that I have a grandbaby, I'm going to be Papa, and Stephanie is going to be Nene. And that's what, that's the plan. But whatever he calls me is probably what I'm going to end up being. So I'm kind of hoping that it will be something good. <laughs> I'm going to try to coach him up. <laughs> My Meemaw, born and raised in North Carolina during the Depression, lived with us for many years after my parents were divorced. My grandmother was hardcore. Like, she would not trust buying vegetables from a grocery store. You had to go to the farmer's market. You had to see them unload them off the back of the truck, right? And she would go get purple whole peas and navy beans and green beans, snap peas, all this kind of stuff that, you know, that I remember from my childhood. And, and you all just have to bear with me on the imagery on this. It's just my image. She wore this house gown and her slippers, and she'd pull that up, and she'd put that bowl in between her knees, and she'd start snapping peas or hauling peas, and the whole time she'd be watching TV, and there'd be some news story about an earthquake in Turkey or about something else, or somebody was shooting it, firing at somebody, and she'd say, she'd start quoting the Bible. She really liked, like, Matthew and Revelation, where it's like there'll be wars and rumors of wars, and the sun will, I mean, the, the, the sky will turn to blood, and I'm like, me, awesome. Scary stuff. That's heavy stuff. But a cold, what she wanted me to know is she's like, John, Jesus is coming back. And you need to be ready whenever he comes. Just be ready. 
I followed her into church for as long as she was able to go, watching her hobble into her Sunday school room with all the little old ladies that she called on the phone every day. I guarantee you she called 20 women a day. And I'm like, there is nothing new that happened since yesterday. <laughs> but for them, there was. They had, they had to talk about their stories. You know what stories are. All right, see, we're going soap operas. She had to talk about the stories and what's happening to the stories. And the Braves, and she loved professional wrestling. <laughs> She'd sit on her bed. God bless her. Me, Ma, sorry. She'd sit on her bed. And that's just back in the days when Ric Flair was a baby. Dusty Rose, American Dream, Dusty Rose and Tony Atlas. And she'd be watching these guys that would travel around the southeast and she'd be on TV. And, you know, I, I don't want to spoil this for you, but you know it's fake, right? So anyway, she, <laughs> she's on there and she'd go, oh, my God, they're going to kill him. Somebody needs to go save him. And I was like, Mimo. So, yeah, I, the, these are the shaping forces that lead you to be who you are. We all have these stories, but my grandmother modeled faith to the end of her life. Faith is caught more than it's taught. Faith is caught more than it's taught. In the church, we assume that discipleship happens the way other learning happens in Western culture. Sharing information and reading books and preaching sermons, going to classes. We assume that people are going to be able to grow in Christ simply by accumulating more and more and more information. Studying the scriptures, knowing the doctrine, memorizing the Bible verses. All of these things are important. That is not what creates a disciple. It's not what shapes a life. It's not what allows us to follow and imitate and become like Jesus in our lives. They don't fully form a follower of Jesus in the image of Christ. we got to remember, discipleship is a following. The word means to follow, to learn, to model, to imitate. Not just to accede to a certain intellectual sense of knowledge. I think that's one of the reasons why we've gotten sideways in our culture, and especially in the church. We made it way too much about right belief, and we have ignored right living. And in the gospel and in the letters of Paul and Timothy, they are both important. And in many ways, right living is as important, if not more important, than the belief. They had different beliefs in Corinthians, in Corinth, different beliefs in Ephesus, but they were striving to get the community to be united together in love. They had Jews who wouldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols, and they had Gentiles who would eat meat sacrificed to idols, and they fought about it. Jews thought that was a sin. Gentiles said, hey, it's discounted meat. I mean, what am I going to do? It's good stuff. And what did Paul say? Paul goes to the Gentiles and he goes, you know what? You're right. You can eat any kind of meat you want. There's nothing wrong with eating the meat. But it really is a problem for the Jews. Out of love for them, will you not eat it? We forget that this is the DNA of the church. <laughs> Even though they were right, out of love for your brothers and sisters, will you not eat it? This is what it means to be a follower. It's a life to live. It's a way of practicing God's presence every day in the world. And, and, and Paul used the, the word in the Greek is peripateo. It was a way of living. He used it, he would say, walk in the way 
that leads to life. Walk in a way that, that, that in, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And he used this image of walking as what it means to be a disciple. Not sitting and thinking, walking, moving, relating with one another. We are formed not by learning the denominational theology belief system. We are not formed by believing certain doctrines about God and Christ. We're not formed by adhering to certain lifestyle or precepts that are given to us by the church. Those things are important. But we are formed for Christ when we orient our lives toward God. When in our daily living with God, with ourselves, with other people, model, embody grace, embody kindness, embody love, embody mercy, embody forgiveness. All the hard things. That's what it means to be a follower. That's what it means to walk in the way. I'll, I'll, I'll wind down with this. I, I just think it's important for us as the church to remember that these things happen in community. It happens in community. Discipleship happens in relationships and commitments of trust, safety, vulnerability, encouragement, being formed spiritually. That is hard work. It takes a long time. It happens slowly. It's a lifetime. And for that reason, the spiritual work of being fully formed as disciples is done in communities, done in families, it's done in churches. You cannot do it isolated and alone. I said a couple of weeks ago, we are really not capable of seeing ourselves honestly all by ourselves. We need other people along in our lives, those ruthlessly compassionate truth tellers to help us to see things that we can't see. I needed Terry to tell me in all of those intimate moments, you need to forgive your father. You know that, right? If you're ever going to be really free, John, you're going to have to forgive your father. Years and years he would tell me that. He didn't hound me. You know, but when the moment was right, He'd remind me. And I saw him, how he struggled with things, how he forgave people. It was that relationship. I mean, I knew what the Bible said, but I had to learn how to live it. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a network of belonging. This is who we are. It's a web of relationships. That's who we are. Some, some developmental psychologists call it a holding environment. It's a place where people or groups are holding space for us without judgment while we do the inner work we need to do. Those who are with us, present with us, unconditionally loving us no matter where we land, no matter where we end up, if we agree or we disagree, they love us, they care for us, and they explore to us and embody for us Jesus himself. They don't want us to become like them. They want us to become and experience Jesus. That's what it means. That's what we're doing for our children and for our grandchildren and for our students in ministry and for adults. This is why when we get together, our men's study on Wednesday night, we break out in tables. We want men, iron sharpens iron, joy of the Lord. My wife said joy of the Lord study. And they break out into small groups after they do their big study so that they can work together and talk together. We do this with our students in life groups by grade. And on Sunday evenings, they gather together in life groups where adults make commitments to be a part of that life group and pour into them every week all throughout the year, following them from 6th grade to 12th grade. Some of you saw the parents get up and walk out with their kids. A lot of them are going to teach Sunday school class. 
They're going to go in there and teach Sunday school class. I know parents who went recently on our middle school retreat to pour into the kids. And not only that, but the middle school retreat, we had high school kids that showed up who wanted to pour into the middle school kids. This is discipleship. This is who we are at Chapelwood. This is what we're about. And the translation of Eugene Peterson's The Message, which I really like, you, you can see what the scripture, what, what Paul is telling Timothy it's all about. In, in the NRSV translation of 1 Timothy, he said, you know, there's all this stuff going on. He said, I urge you, Timothy, as I did when I was on my way to Macedonia, I want you to remain in Ephesus, instruct the certain people who are teaching different doctrines, not to occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies and speculations. But the aim of any instruction is love that comes out of a pure heart with a good conscience and a sincere faith. Because there are people out there that desire to be teachers of the law and they don't really understand what they're saying or the things about which they make assertions. And so you got to love them. Got to be in community with them. And Eugene Peterson in 1 Timothy 1, he, he says it this way. It's a little bit different translation. He, he says the whole point of what we're urging here is simply love. Love uncontaminated by self-interest and counterfeit faith, a life open to God. Those who fail to keep it to this point soon wander off into the dead ends of gossip. They set themselves as experts of religious issues, but they haven't the remotest ideas of what they're holding forth. They could speak with eloquence. But there's no real true moral guidance. Counsel is needed to be given. But the way you say it and to whom you say it are as important as what you say. We are a network of belonging. We are a community of faith. We are a family. That's what a church is. A, a church is not a think tank that's trying to... Uh, change thought and belief a church is a body a family a community is walking together in this world that can be really challenging at times and shaping our children our young people shaping each other me shaping you and you shaping me we never stop becoming disciples we never reach the end there's no grand glorious finish line and what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this world. Because you know what? Every day, every year, every month, there's going to be a new challenge, a new crisis, a new struggle, a new adversary. I don't want you to walk out of here today and say, well, you know, preacher said it doesn't matter what you believe. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> what you believe is important. But we have gotten it backwards. We're all about belief and we don't focus on right living. And Jesus said, Anybody who wants to be my follower has got to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And no matter what it is you carry, I'll lighten that load and I'll be with you. Just follow me. That's what we want to be about. That's what we want our kids to be about. And that's what we want this community of faith to always be about. Let's pray. Gracious God, this morning as we gather in this place and celebrate what a wonderful day to see our children come and sing of how we are called to build one another up to encourage one another a teaching of how we live life what a beautiful thing uh, we pray that those words just grow roots that 
flourish deep inside of their hearts and their lives, to start it at this age and to continue to take that forward. Lord, we need that lesson to hear it from them. As Timothy speak back to those of us who are Paul's and we pour into those who are Timothy's. Lord, help us to be your followers. Help us to walk in a way, manner of the worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Help us to struggle with the beliefs and help us to hold space for our young people when they struggle with their beliefs. They struggle with their identity. Help us to embody love and grace and mercy and kindness for them just as Jesus would. That's what's gonna make all the difference, you know. Not just for them, but for all of us. We pray in the name of Christ, amen.